This episode of Teeming with Microbes is brought to you by Bigfoot Microbes, number two organics made in partnership with Malibu Compost and down-to-earth all-natural fertilizers. We do have a question about root maggots. Right. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen someone so excited about oh, root boy. maggots. Oh, boy. More mold and maggots and maggots. That's pretty funny. Welcome, everyone, to the Teeming with Microbes podcast, our weekly deep dive into the rich and fertile world of the soil food web and organic gardening. We're breaking down all the science and handing out expert gardening advice while busting those long-held myths about how to help your garden grow. With the man who literally wrote the books on teeming with everything important in your soil, the Lord of the Roots himself, Jeff Lowenfels, and me, Jonathan White, the caffeinated gardener. From flowers to lawns to vegetables, heck, even your mind. Let's grow it all. All right, Jeff, a nice long weekend. It was a holiday weekend. Lots of folks were out fishing and camping. We were gardening. We were, and and you can tell the people that were gardening because they're walking around and they're all bent over and they have bad back. Right. <laughs> Everybody is really sore. But it's good work. It's the best. Yeah. And it's hard this time of year because we've got all this stuff in the ground. It's just starting. I'm lucky enough to have a greenhouse. I've got some red tomatoes coming in. Wow. But outside, right, it's hard. We're, we're, there are a yeah. lot of patience to be a garden. It's very hard, and particularly when you've had a long, long winter, you want to see things just going right away. Because in your mind, that little piece of lettuce you put in the ground there, it's, it's a big head, right? Or, and so you've got to just be patient. Right. It's going to get there. And in the meantime, make sure that you're taking care of the soil food web so that it is taking care of all of those plants and doing the worrying for you. Right. And we've put our mycorrhizal fungi in the ground. We're using compost. We're using all the good things to feed our soil food web. Right. But there are some things that we often overlook in mm-hmm. our yards mm-hmm. that are growing in our lawns or in our, you know, in, in even in the wild parts of our yard, trees. Right. And a lot of folks don't think about what you can do to help trees. And if you have spruce trees in your yard here in Alaska, you might have some emerging problems. Right. And not not just the spruce here in Alaska, but there are bark beetle problems on trees all around the world. This has become a indication of global warming for one reason or another, causing bark beetles to attack these gigantic forests that we have. And here in Anchorage, we've got spruce bark beetles, and they have taken down swath miles after tens of thousands of miles of, of, of trees, creating fire hazards. And finally, they hit town. And all of a sudden, here in Anchorage, which isn't that old as a, as, as a city, uh, we were, what, founded in 1915, the trees that have been the backbone of our existence, they're all, their basic landscape trees are all dying. What do we do? It's a terrible, terrible problem. What What can we do? This isn't so much a gardening or a soil food web thing. This is a kind of a climate issue, right? Well, it is. It's caused by the climate change uh, here in Anchorage. Our our particular cause is that we've getting we're getting earlier and earlier thaws, 
and then it freezes, then it thaws and freezes, and the trees start to grow, and then they get nipped by the frost, and it weakens the tree. So you've got a weakened tree, and then along comes these beetles, and, and their food source happens to be the tree. They don't come along alone, though. They bring with them a fungus, and that fungus takes out part of the tree, weakens the tree even more, and, and, and in, in some instances actually kills off part of the tree so that the beetle can eat the dead stuff right there. It's, it's really kind of a neat system, and if, and if we could figure out how to kill that fungus— then we might be able to save the trees. But we've had a heck of a problem, and we haven't been able to save very very many trees here. And so we, we need to replace those. But in the meantime, those trees that are still alive, there are some things that can be done. Napalming them with giant sprayers and herbicides and pesticides probably isn't the answer. No, that never works. And and eventually what happens is the tree catches up with all of that stuff and the beetle becomes resistant. It's not a way to go. The things that you can do are pretty simple. One, make sure that the tree gets plenty of water. We don't think about it, but trees do need water. We water our lawns all the time, and as a result of doing that, we end up inadvertently watering our trees. But it's really a great idea just to concentrate on the trees itself. You put your sprinkler, if it's not a traveling sprinkler, uh, right at the drip line, and you let it water inside the drip line and outside the drip line at the same time. Uh, maybe an inch, two inches a week, particularly during the early months of the season, when the beetles are flying. In Anchorage, they fly from June all the way through maybe mid-July. The second thing you can do is increase the air circulation around the trunk, and you do that by removing the lower limbs. Hard to do sometimes because you want those for landscape reasons and, and whatnot, but if you want the tree to live and you've got a beetle infestation, whether it's a spruce bark beetle or some other kind of pine bark beetle, you need to consider those, those lower limbs so that you get air circulation going up into the tree. Um, I don't find that fertilizer particularly helps. Uh, there are injections which people try. I haven't heard anything uh, with those. The uh, United States Department of Agriculture is working like crazy to come up with uh, different pheromones and things that, that we can use. And sooner or later, we're going to end up with a, a way to handle this terrible, terrible problem. These are not the beetles you want playing in your yard. No, and definitely not. And you, you definitely want to get those trees down now. Get them off your property before the beetles start to really fly all over the place. These are the beetles that play the punk concert with see, the bad words. I was just, see, he didn't I, bite. I, he didn't I, bite. Yeah. He didn't bite. No, but the, 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 I can see these beetles on trees like, we're going to eat this tree now. Aye, aye, aye. Oi. Paul, what are you eating there? Um, I, I, Ringo. If you live in a place yes. where water is an issue, here in Anchorage, Alaska, water is abundant. It rains right. a lot. We have we have a huge right. um, lake, a Klutna Lake, that we draw our, our water off. But if you live in a place where water, you know, is a little bit more sensitive, water usage is sensitive, then you might you might have more challenges with beetles. Definitely, health. and in some places, that's what's causing the weakness of the tree, and then and then the entrance of the beetles and and the fungus. The the thing that you do then is aerate underneath the tree uh, and use mulches. Mulches hold the water in as much as possible. Now, you know, you have to think about the tree. Where are the roots of that tree? 
they're not just underneath the drip line. They go out into the area. So you've got to, you've got to put mulch way out. Uh, and, and, and that's okay. What would you rather have, the lawn or the tree? Frankly, I'd rather have the tree. So It's almost like we talk about this before we record these, which we don't. Right. But this leads us into one of the rules in the back of book one, Teeming with Microbes, with our friend Wayne Lewis. Right. That mulches on top of the soil tend to benefit fungal activity. Right. And mulches that you put in the ground under the soil or or mix in tend to help the bacteria in right. the soil. And it, and but it, a tree is going to want the fungal activity. That's it's right. A, it's, a, it's a perennial. That's right. And, and, of course, remember the law of return. Those leaves are supposed to be there. You've removed them as a yardener to make things look neater. No. Again, you have to readjust your attitude about what looks good and what doesn't look good. If it helps the soil food web, it looks good. And if it doesn't help the soil food web, it doesn't look good. So as you come down the tree, mm -hmm. one of the rules you don't want to, as you put mulch around your tree, you don't want to get too close to the trunk, right? Right, because you'll end up composting the trunk, and that's not, that's not good for the not tree. Advisable. No, not advisable. No, and you can literally girdle the tree and it'll die. So you want to be careful about that. And and a lot of people, particularly when you see public plantings and whatnot, there's this, this volcano of mulch around the base of it. you got to make sure you keep it away from the trunk. Not too far because you're feeding the, the soil underneath the, the area, but, but it certainly shouldn't touch. Got it. In the lawn, our weekly lawn segment, a lot of questions about moss. Moss starts to come around. I've already got moss here in mm -hmm. May. Mm -hmm. Not the worst thing in the world, right? It, it actually can be kind of pretty right. if you treat it right. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't like it when I say it, but I think moss is so much better than grass. It's green. It it really doesn't need water because it absorbs so much in holes, even even you know at night. Uh, and it's so beautiful and soft. And when you go to Japan and look at gardens, the gardens you want to see are the ones that are all moss, not the ones that are long, and that doesn't require any work whatsoever. Now, the knee-jerk reaction when people see moss in the lawn is, oh my God, I got to get rid of the moss. What's causing the moss? The moss is caused by a low pH. And so what do they do? They throw down lime and they figure, well, that's going to make the pH change. Two things wrong with that. First, you got to get rid of the moss first. And that really requires a tremendous amount of work. Talk about use of a thatching rake. You've got to thatch out all of that moss so that you've got bare soil. Then you want to change the pH. When you put lime down, you only, particularly in Anchorage, Alaska, can change the pH by one point per year. So the first thing you need to do is remove the moss. The second thing you need to do is test the soil to see what the pH is to figure out how many years it's going to take to put lime down in order to get it to the point where you can start to grow grass and not moss again. It's very difficult. Man, I don't know about you, but as a gardener and a yardener, I want to spend all that time doing something else. Yeah, right? yeah, precisely. What I love about, about my lawn, again, I'm lucky I have a big property, mm -hmm. and it's almost like different biospheres in a right. way, right? I've got the center of the lawn, gets a lot of sunlight, and it's typically the happiest. Little corner over here has a lot of moss. Corner over here has a lot of 
a lot of clover. You know, it's really interesting how different parts of the lawn can be. You can visit different parts, different right. climates. Almost. Right. And this time of year, it's, it's important to do that because you determine where your microclimates are on the lawn. So at the base of my lawn, there's a hill. It is as green as it will ever be. It's just spectacular. It's got dandelions and whatnot in it, but it's beautiful. And I know that's the warmest place on the property without question. And then I've got other areas where there's still a little bit of snow. And I know those are not great places to be gardening. So use it to your advantage and determine where you should be growing various things. God, good point. Good point. All right. Speaking of growing different things, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the gardening season finally being in full swing here in Anchorage, Alaska. Bigfoot Mycorrhizae is a complete microbial powerhouse that takes all the guesswork out of using beneficial fungi for your grows. It's like a soil food web in a bag packed with beneficial bacteria, kelp, humic acid, biochar, worm castings, and micronutrients. It's going to boost the flavor and size of your veggies, and it's the only mycorrhizae product to earn Jeff's coveted teaming with microbes seal of approval. You can find Bigfoot in Anchorage at Alaska Mill and Feed or nationwide through Amazon or our website, BigfootMyco.com. That's BigfootMyco.com. Hey teamers, are you looking for a good, real organic, nutrient-dense, biologically active living soil? Check out the farm-made organic compost, premium organic topsoil, and premium organic potting soil from Number 2 Organics. And for a limited time, you can get a super cool black and white Number 2 Organics tractor t-shirt, like the one Jeff's wearing, woohoo, on our Instagram page with every purchase. Check out Number2Organics.com for all the details. We've been doing this now. I think this is our ninth episode. Mm -hmm. So we're about nine weeks into this. Mm -hmm. Getting some good feedback. I think people are liking the, the, the topics that we're talking about. If you're out there as a listener, uh, wherever you get your podcast, you have the opportunity to rate our podcast. Do us a favor. Go and, and give us a rating, even if it's, well— uh, two stars and above. <laughs> yeah. And subscribe, too. And subscribe, yeah. right, and yeah. give us some feedback. And um, tell your friends if they're into organic gardening and need good advice or just need something to listen to in the garden this summer, um, you know, give us a rating and check us out. Yeah, and we will respond to feedback, no question about it. So I'll, I'll, I'll be a little, a little quieter, less excited. And we have uh, root maggots. We have uh, an op a way for you to ask us questions. Also, teaminghwithmicrobes at me.com. Send us your questions. Tell us who you are, where you're from. We can't get to them all. But uh, you may notice if you listen to the podcast that we work in the questions uh, in little ways to, to, to address it um, without actually calling out the question. We do have a question this week uh, that leads us into this next segment from Amanda. Amanda did not tell us where she was from, but she has a problem that can exist almost anywhere, and that's root maggots. These little pests that get in there and destroy our crops, and we typically don't know till the end of the year right. sometimes. Right. But if you found root maggots— let's say, in the fall, like Amanda did, how can you prevent them again in the same spot? Should you? What should you do to, to get that soil back? Yeah, you know, root maggots in the lawn are, are really problematic. And, and the first thing you need to do is be able to identify that you've got the problem. So if you've got little brown patches that just don't go away, the, the way to determine whether you have root maggots is twofold. One is pull the grass. If the grass just simply comes out, 
without any effort whatsoever, something is down there eating the roots and, and making that grass loose. And so then you dig a, a little bit of the lawn up and you take a look and you try to identify the root maggots, if you have them. They're white. They're, oh, I don't know, maybe half an inch long. And they form a C. A, a, and when you touch them, they wiggle around like crazy. And they, they always go back to the C shape. Uh, and, and so there you have the root maggots. In order to get rid of them, if you've just got a little area where there are root maggots, you can literally pick them out by hand. If you've got four or five in a, you know, in a, in a two or three foot square area, that's fine. Uh, they're naturally in the lawn, but, but problems begin to accumulate when you get 10, 15, 20 uh, root maggots in a little small area. You can remove them by hand. Uh, if you've got a bigger area that's been impacted, you can use nematodes, which are really cool. So what the nem nematodes are small worms. Remember when we talk about the soil food web, we talk about the protozoa and the nematodes eating the bacteria and the and the fungi. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, the Jeff. fungi. Thank you. And, My and goodness. <laughs> I just do it to okay. tease Now you you're just bit. messing with us. I am. Uh, so uh, these nematodes, they attack the grub and and they put bacteria that they're carrying into the grub. The bacteria multiply every 20 minutes and and eat the inside of the grub and kill it. Nature can be gross. It can friends. be gross. Nature can be gross. Yeah. Now, it takes sometimes two to three years for them to work, but they will work and they will spread. Uh, and so that's, that's probably the best way. You can put down neem. Uh, but neem will it will in, impact other members of the soil food web, not as negatively as, as a lot of the other stuff that you could be using. Uh, but those are the two things that people recommend. So if you get rid of them, how do you prevent them? How do you, how do you keep them from coming in in the first place? Well, you keep a nice, healthy lawn with a good root system. And the way you, you do that is by having a good soil food web. Leave the clippings, leave those, those leaves that you run over with the mower at the end of the year, aerate the lawn, keep the lawn healthy. This goes back to one of our core principles on this show is if you have a good, healthy soil food web, it can help repel pests, disease, things that might affect your crops, your plants, your lawns, your flowers. Right. And, 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 and the other thing is that we, the gardener or the yardener, are probably the cause of problems. And if we let the soil food web take over and, and so that we're not interfering all over the place, things will be better. So I was at a nursery a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. and someone that I know fairly well, called them a friend, mm -hmm. accosted me. They begged me not to use their name, so I won't. The question was rotating crops in their vegetable garden. Right. And why it was so important to to not put certain things where things were growing last year and whatnot. And I, and I told her not to worry about it so much. Right. But there are things you don't want to plant together. So this is planting season where we live. You might not want to put beans and onions together, things like that. Yeah, you know, I don't. I really never have problems with with these things. I read these articles that that appear, particularly now with their clickbait articles. You know, they usually start off, "I'm a gardening expert, and these are the five things you need to do to your lawn," or something of that sort. You know, or the one we talked about last week. Right. You know, th this is what weeds mean. 
Well, you know, there's a lot of mythology out there uh, with with regard to these things. So you got to be careful, uh, you know, about about what you're doing. So, one of my favorite Jeffisms is the way to get rid of slugs in your yard. Yeah, which is or in your garden, more yeah. particularly, is beer. Right. Just put or some yeast. beer out. or yeast. Right. Yeah. Right. And you and you and you do that early in the season. You should be looking for slug eggs right now, but the slugs are hatching as well. What I always tell people, and I, I, you know, I like to say I'm the only garden writer in the world that does this, that beer trap system is something everybody writes about. And what they do is they tell people you put beer or yeast water into a shallow pan and you put it in your garden and the slugs come in at night. And they drink the beer and they get drunk and they die. Uh, they drown. Well, yeah, that's a great idea. You put the, the pan in the garden and you attract slugs from all <laughs> right. over the area to come into your garden. It's the garden no, you bar. you put the thing outside the garden, not in the garden, so that you can attract the slugs to leave, uh, not to come in. So, yeah, that has to be done. Then the slugs come in. They start getting into fights with the bad worms. <laughs> and then we get a concert. Exactly. The yeah. beetles, the bad beetles are there. Yeah, all really... kinds of dangerous stuff can happen. <laughs> But slugs get a bad rap. For every slug that you see on top of a plant eating a cabbage leaf or a lettuce leaf, there are four or five slugs in the soil that are actually breaking down organic material, making it available for fungus and bacterium. Uh, and so, so, you know, it's really a, 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 great, a great thing to have in many ways. So you got to think about whether you really want to remove those slugs. Leave the slugs. Yeah. Now, this time of the year, slugs are a problem. Also, we get we get uh, f maggots that, that get in cabbage, things things that are beginning to grow. And this is a great time of the year to use that remy cloth, those that clear woven cloth that you can lay down, lets water and light get through and air get through. But it prevents eggs from flying insects from being uh, laid down. So you don't get cutworms, for example. Uh, they're beginning to appear this time of year, and they can be prevented by using this remy cloth. So the, the things you need to be doing now that you've got your, your soils Together, you've got your mycorrhizal fungi in your in your uh, uh, stuff, and you're ready to go. Now you got to just keep an eye on what's happening. All right. With that, when we come back, we're going to talk about the column for this week. Sure. Some more, a little bit more on compost and what we should be doing as the garden season gets underway. If you listen to this podcast, you know that Jeff and I like to call fertilizers microbe food. Well, our friends at Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers have some of the best meal plans you can find for all those little critters in the soil food web, including one of our favorites called BioLive. You can find Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers nationwide in independent garden centers. Just look for that telltale brown compostable box. Okay, we're nine weeks in. We're finally at the gardening season. And remember, folks, if you're listening to us anywhere in the world, go to where you find us, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Give us a like. Give us a, a rating. Tell your friends. Uh, let's help spread the word about organic gardening in the world. And using the soil food web. And using the soil food web. And um, if you're looking for a great set of books, I know where you can find some the teeming series by our friend here, Jeff Lohenfels, The Lord of the Roots. I have a little section along my driveway mm -hmm. that's gravel, and it separates the lawn from the driveway. Mm -hmm. And every year, with the you know, I've got the plow and whatever. I wind up with 
gravel in my lawn. Right. And you're telling me I should leave some of it there. Right. I grew up uh, with a uh, probably a three-tenths of a mile long gravel driveway. And we had to, we, meaning my brothers and I, had to rake it smooth all the time. And we noticed that a lot of the gravel ended up, because when the cars drive by, uh, they, it ended up in the lawns. Now, here in Anchorage, Alaska, we put, we put sand down for the winter to be able to get up and down our driveways. And it, it, it never turns out to be sand. It's always gravel. Uh, so it's got to be picked up and, and removed. It's a heck of a job if you've got a long driveway. In either case, it turns out that that gravel is fabulous stuff for putting in lawns. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive. Why would you want to put gravel in a lawn? Well, we've been talking about making compost for these past nine or so sessions, but we haven't talked about making soil. And there's a difference between compost, which is all organic matter, and soil, which contains organic matter, but it has other stuff in it. So a good garden, like I know your garden in particular, contains maybe 4 or 5% organic matter. Doesn't sound like a lot, but, but it is. A great organic farm would be 5% organic matter. So what's the rest of the stuff? Well, the rest of the stuff is material that has been broken down by these microbes, and in particular, they weather and break down rocks. That's where soil starts. It's hard to believe. So you got a big, gigantic boulder, and, and that boulder eventually is going to turn into soil. How does that happen? It happens because you've got microbes that attach to it, lichens, for example, which are, are bacteria and, they, and, and fungi. They attach and they break down the rock substrate by putting acids into it. Or, or some of the bacteria rob the rock material of iron and break up the matrix. And these little teeny creatures over, over the ages turn that rock into soil material that with the mixes help of, of yeah. wind right i mean well, with the with help wind of erosion and you and, get chemical you yeah. can get chemical uh, so you get all of that stuff uh, but it takes it takes those microbes to ultimately make that wonderful stuff so so you put those pebbles into your soil first of all it's creating a wonderful drainage situation so the water can flow through it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, second of all, it's providing a, a, a nutrient that the uh, bacteria and the other organisms need. And you don't think about it because you just think, oh, you know, lawn ought to have just beautiful compost in it. No. Yeah, it's going to take 10 million years, but you'll have great soil in your yard in 10 <laughs> yeah. million years. Well, no, no, actually, it will take 10 million years to break that little pebble down. But it'll, it, it, that season, some of the material it will be broken up and used by some of the bacteria and some of the fungus uh, will, will, will thrive. And yeah. so it'll be a wonderful addition. In addition to which, the stuff is heavy. Now, I should add that you can take a bunch of that gravel— and, and create what's known as a scree garden. They're really fun. A scree garden is what you would see if you're on a hike, you're up in a mountainous area, uh, you're in Italy up in, the, you know, and you, and you look down, you see these beautiful pockets of little miniature wildflowers growing in pebbles. 
That's a scree garden. And you can make your own by picking up some of that stuff. Hmm. So other than throwing, and you want to make the pebbles or the, the gravel low enough so your mower doesn't hit it. Obviously, <laughs> you don't want to be throwing yeah. rocks around your neighborhood. Right. And you certainly, when you mow anyway, you should be covering your eyes and being sensible about so it. So of the basic elements in our environment, earth, wind, and fire, <laughs> we're talking about yeah. earth at this point, right. but also water. A lot of questions come in about the temperature of the water. Right. If it's time to water your lawn, water your vegetable garden, water your flower, flower bed, um, I'm on a well and right. the water comes out really cold. Right. So I have to warm mine up. And right. it can make a big difference if you use oh, yes. cold water. Yeah. You're putting – here in Anchorage, the tap water comes out at about 40 degrees. I also have well water. It's 38 degrees mine, sometimes. Mine too, yeah. And, and, and when you put that down on a 65-degree day when the soil – you know, in the middle of August, it puts the plant into a little quasi-shock. And not just the plant – but the soil food web organisms go into shock. Remember, we talked about enzymes and how they work best at these temperatures of 70, 80 degrees. You throw that 38, 40 degree water on it, everything slows down. So having a warmer water source is a great thing. You can get too hot. You know, there are places, obviously, in Africa and other pla- in the United California, States, California, Texas. where it gets too hot, so you want to use cooler water. But here in Anchorage, I sometimes advise people, if they can, to add a hot water faucet to their outdoor watering system so that they can mix the water and have nice, warm temperatures. If you can't do that, a rain barrel full of water, which will get warm uh, is is a great way to go. Fill up those buckets with water and let them sit for a couple of days so it goes. It does make a difference. You're you're watering with a with a good temperature and good ambient temperature. The plant just continues to grow. It doesn't stop and go. Ooh, What's happening? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you, you told me a long time ago. I always think about this. You wouldn't want to take an ice cold shower. Why do you want to give your yeah. broccoli starts ice cold? Exactly. Ice cold my my father carried it to the point where uh, he wouldn't water the plants at night because he kept saying, "Why would you want to go to bed with wet feet?" Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't want to go that far. But you don't want to shock your plants. When when you have a rain barrel, and I use them all throughout my yard in right. the greenhouse. Also, you have the opportunity also to put stuff in the water right. that can help help can add some beneficial stuff to the water. Sure, you can you can for example, you can put in some number 2, uh, our our wonderful sponsor, or you can put in some of the uh, down to earth Let, materials. Let's just back up. Yeah. <laughs> number 2 Malibu compost. Okay. Not the colloquial number 2. <laughs> You're right. I, don't mind. I know we were Our talking about elephants the doing other day. Doing any, doing anything crazy over their rain barrels. You're right. That is that yeah. is not what we're we're talking about. Number two, yeah. Malibu compost. One yeah. of our wonderful sponsors. Exactly. Right. You can do that, and you, <laughs> wow. you can even put in. Uh, some of those wonderful nematodes we were talking about uh, uh, earlier, uh, which down-to-earth cells, by the way. Um, so, so you know, our sponsors, by the way, cover everything. They do, yeah. yeah. All right. I don't— I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I want to— Let's just leave our listeners with that. Yes. With that thought, uh, that mental uh, image of, of how to improve your water source. Uh, remember, folks, wherever you listen to us, Teeming with Microbes— uh, give us a like on wherever you listen to podcasts. You can send us questions at teaminwithmicrobes at me.com. Don't forget Jeff's column every week in the Anchorage Daily News. Until next week, 
Get out there and get gardening. Yes, indeed. Hey, thanks for listening to this edition of Teeming with Microbes. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing this gardening season. Jeff and I wrote this episode with additional production and editing by Evan Phillips of Podpeak. You can find him at podpeak.com. Our music is also by Evan Phillips. Thanks, as always, to the Anchorage Daily News for hosting our show. And don't forget to catch Jeff's weekly gardening column in each Friday's edition. We'll be back next week with another edition of Teeming with Microbes. Until then, get out there, get your hands dirty, and get growing. As always, thanks for listening to Jeff and I on this podcast. We're brought to you by Bigfoot Microbes. Number two organics made in partnership with Malibu Compost and down-to-earth all-natural fertilizers.